And uh, so when I graduated, I got drafted in the NFL my senior year uh, by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, uh, but I got a chance to make the team play in special teams primarily. But it was also 1968, it was the height of the Vietnam War. And um, I got drafted uh, at the end of that season and uh, wound up in the Army. And uh, put my basic in advanced infantry training, then flew over to Vietnam like thousands of other young men during that period of time. We ran into uh, contact with the enemy. We had a firefight. Uh, during that firefight, um, I got wounded twice. You know, you're, you're in, a, in a ward, uh, and across from me, across from me was a young soldier. He was a triple amputee, lost his left arm and both legs. And every day that uh, I was there, the aides would come to take him to therapy. And he stopped at every one of the beds in the ward on the way out. And he'd say, you know, you look better today than you did yesterday. Now we got some good docs here, and we're gonna take care of you, we'll get you out of here, and I'll get you, and I'll see you back in the real world one of these days. And that story stuck with me because all of us, you know, over the period of time, and I think anybody could be embittered or complain would be that young soldier with those atrocities that took place, but yet he had a positive attitude. And so it kind of changed my, myself pity to go, okay, fine, what do we got to do here? Hey, welcome back to The Spear, a podcast by the Modern War Institute at West Point. I'm John Amble, editorial director at MWI, and we recently hosted our annual Class of 99 Sandhurst Conference at West Point. One of our guests is a man named Rocky Blyer. He has a remarkable story. He played a year in the NFL, got drafted by the Army in 1968, and served in Vietnam, and then returned to have a successful football career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. During his tour in Vietnam, he experienced some pretty intense combat, and so we invited him to join us for this episode of The Spear. He was kind enough to agree, so he sat down with MWI's Major Jake Moraldi to share his story of combat, of recovery, and ultimately of his return to football. We really hope you enjoy the conversation, but before we get to it, as always, just a couple quick notes. First, a sincere thank you to all of you who have given us a rating or a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It has been fantastic to see, as a result of your help, that our audience is growing rapidly and we continue to reach new listeners with what we think are really special stories that are important to tell. And second, as always, what you're about to hear are the views of the participants and don't represent the position of West Point, the Army, or the U.S. government. All right, here's Major Jake Moraldi and Rocky Blyer. Well, sir, thank you for taking the time to sit down and come talk to us today. Hey, you're welcome. It's nice to be here. Well, I'm gonna, I, I would like to jump in. For folks who maybe aren't familiar with you, um, just a little bit of background about kind of your, your overall career and, and sort of what your, your life is, and then we can dig, dig in a little bit okay, fine. into that. So, you know, basically my career. So basically, I grew up in a small Midwestern town, Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, and coming out of high school, I got a chance to continue my education. I got a scholarship to go to the University of Notre Dame. Uh, that was back in 1964 to 1968. Era Parsegian was a brand new head coach coming in. Turned things around, and by my junior year, we win a national championship. You get recognized for 
contributions to the team. And, and uh, so when I graduated, I got drafted in the NFL my senior year uh, by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just to put that in perspective, <laughs> um, I was not their first choice. <laughs> I, was a, I was the 417th person picked in the draft that year. I was the 16th round draft choice. Uh, um, and, uh, but I got a chance to make the team playing special teams primarily. But it was also 1968. It was the height of the Vietnam War that was taking place uh, during that period of time. And uh, the draft was invoked uh, for uh, anybody at 18 years old or older. It had to sign up for the draft. You get your deferment, go into college, and then all of a sudden that deferment comes up. Mm-hmm. And so you have options, whatever that might be. But I'm trying to make him play football over here, thinking, thinking that, oh, you know, somewhere along the line they will take care of that responsibility, mm-hmm. get me into the reserves, National Guard, whatever it might be. Sure. Well, it was one of those situations where um, I, I just fell through the hole and um, I got drafted. Um, and ultimately, uh, at the end of that season, and uh, wound up in the Army and uh, put my basic in advanced infantry training, then flew over to Vietnam like thousands of other young men during that period of time. And, um, about four and a half months in country, um, we, we ran into uh, contact with the enemy. We had a firefight. Uh, during that firefight, um, I got wounded twice, um, one by uh, AK-47 that got shot through the left leg, and secondly, by a grenade that blew up to my right foot, knee, and thigh. So um, eventually, a platoon came down, got us out of there, and we got to security area. And I spent the remaining part in the, of my, my career in the, uh, in, in the military, basically in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Went to Da Nang, went to Korea, Tokyo, and then um, came, uh, came back to the States and, um, and spent nine months in the hospital and went through several operations. Uh, prognosis was I'd never be able to come back to play. But um, having the good fortune um, of, of maybe the ownership or the period of time uh, and um, I came back and they bought me really two years. They put me on injured reserve one year. They put me on uh, taxi squad or developmental squad the second year. Uh, two years of an opportunity to heal, to get stronger, to come back and, and kind of make this team. And mm-hmm. so um, in 72, I made the team uh, playing special teams again. But 72 becomes a magical year in Steeler history at the Immaculate Reception. Things turned around. Franco Harris is a rookie, uh, um, and uh, Terry Bradshaw is a quarterback, and all of a sudden there's a making of a, uh, of, of a, of a good team. Whoever knew it was going to be a dynasty, and uh, by 1974, I, I break into the starting backfield, and, but it's also the same year that we get to win the division, go to the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl for the first time. And in the remaining next six years, we go to three more Super Bowls thereafter. And after 12 years uh, of, of, of collective time, um, I get a chance to uh, retire. Um, uh, and so the, the, the biggest part of the story was the comeback of, of putting the time and the effort and of, um, of overcoming the injuries. Um, because, as I said, the prognosis was uh, that I would never be able to play because of the damage done to my right foot, specifically. Um, but, you know, given time, <laughs> given time, it heals. Putting time in, in the gym, going through all the things that were necessary to do so. Um, and you kind of make, you know, make an opportunity for yourself. Uh, and so um, uh, that basically, in a nutshell, was kind of my career of uh, what took place. 
So I want to start off with an experience that nobody in the contemporary world has has any experience with, and it's it's getting drafted, and kind of what that felt like and what that meant, and and how you kind of process that when when it occurred in, in 1968. So we have to, you know, and I think you have to go back through because in a, 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 of that period of time, the draft was in vogue. People were getting drafted, classmates uh, from high school. Um, we got drafted, um, and the draft was uh, was uh, it was this weight that was hanging over your head. There was options. I mean, you did have options. Options you could enlist uh, into a specific ser- uh, service and try to get uh, a uh, MOS that was going to send you over to Vietnam. Um, you could opt out and leave the country, go to jail. You could do a lot of other options uh, and things like this. So. Um, uh, and so my thought, so my thought was, okay, fine. You know that when I or when I get drafted, that um, that the team would take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know somehow, and it was a great lesson to learn. Is that you know they don't. <laughs> Anybody has to take care of it. You got to take care of it, or prepare yourself and put yourself in a position. You know. Um, and uh, so I just left it in their hands, and ultimately it fell through the cracks I had made mention before. But it was, but it was, it was, it was, it, it was this cloud that was hanging over everybody's head in this country at that period of time, and a lot of things um, were taking place. Um, there was um, protests about the war, obviously. Uh, student unrest that was taking place. Civil rights movement was also moving, going on at that time. So there was a lot of upheaval within this country uh, created by um, that conflict specifically um, and also changes that were taking place uh, within the environment uh, in, that was happening. And so all of a sudden you get caught up in this, in this whole mess. So. When you got drafted, when I got drafted, and I guess suppose my my feeling at that time was, okay, that's a responsibility. I mean, I I, I got drafted. You know, it is a responsibility, two-year commitment, six-year reserve. You know, that's, people go through it. You just, you know, you you put yourself through it. So one, but I think you may understand this as well. Playing organized sports. Is you know gives you gives you that whole uh, feeling of, of 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 working as a team, having each other's back, um, understanding your role, doing what you needed to do to prepare for that role, and so it was the same thing you know going in, in, into basic training you know. You didn't like it necessarily, but you've been through camps before. <laughs> you went through training before. You just go, okay, it'll be another day. You'll get through this. It doesn't last forever. They can't eat you, you know. Uh, and uh, um, uh, and you and there's a certain expectation because you were kind of an athlete, you know. And so um, and you push through it, and you know, and you, and you get through it. So uh, I, I think organized sports taught you about other people, what happens in the locker room, um, what happens out in the field, you know, the character of people that you deal with. And, uh, and so you learn a lot of things along the way, and so which helped me make that transition. 
um, into the into the military. And then you went through AIT, just another step. Then you get your orders, um, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, you're over in Vietnam. And you didn't know anything about Vietnam. It wasn't this as if there was a lot. The only thing that you knew was what stories that you heard from soldiers returning. And everybody likes to embellish stories or everybody likes to tell different stories or whatever it might. So my expectation was I landed, it was that we're gonna be fired upon when you land, you know, the first time and it's gonna be hostile activities and and it wasn't, and you went through that process. Um, and then ultimately, um, you end up with your unit. And I remember the first day I, I, I was introduced to my unit. They were out, out on a sweep, and so I had to walk up um, uh, LZ West, and that was what we worked off. And I'm waiting for them, and they're, they're, they, 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 <laughs> they're walking up, and honest to God, they all looked like they had that thousand-yard stare. Mm -hmm. They all aged right before my eyes. You know, young men that now looked like they're in their 30s and 40s and so on. And so uh, it was like, ooh, you know, what am I getting myself into? But it was a good group of guys, you know. And again, uh, you did what you had to do. And, uh, I mean, the biggest thing was for everybody uh, to come home alive mm -hmm. and in one piece and put your time in, do what your country asks of you, and then return back home. Um, and so there was, a, you know, it was, it was a great learning experience because ultimately what uh, had happened when we were in um, a firefight, when mm -hmm. we got into the firefight, was we were going back to retrieve bodies that we had left behind in an action that took place two days earlier. Sister company had been hit. We flew out to get them out of that, out of that hot spot. Mm -hmm. And uh, by the time we got to them, it was late at night. F fighting had ceased. Um, we had to carry out what bodies weren't extracted before. On our way out, we run into a machine gun nest, uh, quick firefight leave the bodies, we'll come back and pick them up, get everybody else out. Mm -hmm. Now, two days later, that was our mission to sure. go. So, as we're walking on this open race paddy, point man, I was eighth in line, five yards distance, mm, he was about 40 yards in front of me. So, all of a sudden, he saw movement across the berm. Now, we knew the enemy was in the area, obviously, from the days before. But he makes a fatal mistake, and his fatal mistake, being young, being new, I should say, as a point man, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe not having the training that we would have today in our soldiers, um, is that he saw movement, excitement, um, hollered, the enemy started to run, he sh took shots at him, and he started to chase him, mm -hmm. pulling everybody out in the middle of that rice paddy. Rather than throwing up his arm, stopping the whole thing, taking a knee, assessing the situation because of what has taken place, yep. uh, he puts everybody else in harm's way. We lost four guys in that field. Uh, other people were wounded. 
in, in a firefight, and um, as I said before. So, so along the way, I know it's years later, but there are lessons that I continually, you know, think about that try to, you know, talk to young people about just sure. in that situation, yeah. things that you otherwise might not learn. So in the course of this firefight, when you're wounded, you said you got hit in the in the leg with a with a rifle round yeah. and then and then grenade. You know, as that's happening or, or after that's occurred, kind of what what's going through your head at that point? It's a, it was in, in the, in the, in the he, very I hear it here. So I got hit the first time. So I got hit the first time, and I was out in an open race paddock. Mm-hmm. So um, saw the machine gun. Okay, I'm a grenadier. My responsibility is to get some firepower on that position. I'm the only one that could reach them. Mm-hmm. So they're about 150 yards away. I could see it. Okay. I rolled on my side and I breached a grenade. That's when I got hit the first time. Mm-hmm. Discharged that round. And I'm thinking, mm, I better get behind some protection. It got behind a, this bush. So we got enough firepower on this to, to cease or to at least get the four guys who were pinned down in the open race body, get them out of there. And so my thought, when I got hit the first time, it was like, wow, I've never been shot before, you know? And so it was like, bam, you hear this into your thigh, and you go, oh, my God. I mean, just and now I didn't know whether I could walk. I didn't know how damaged it was. And just I put a gauze around it, uh, you know. It, okay, so I was very fortunate if we I didn't hit an artery, didn't break a bone, just went through the tissue. Um, so... That was, but it was interesting because I'm on the left, what I'm thinking, on our left flank. Mm-hmm. They're in front of us. Uh, most of that platoon in the rice paddy went to the right side behind protection. So they were, so there was a, a lot of fighting going on over here. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, though, it was like, okay, I just got this calmness. They came over me, said, all right, fine. Let's assess the situation. You're over here by yourself. Okay, you got, you're an M79, a one-shot wonder. <laughs> you can put a shotgun shell in. So I slammed that in just in case because I'm thinking, okay, fine, what are they gonna do? What if they came down and try to flank us on this side? I'm the only guy that's over here. So, all right, what are you gonna do? Well, you got one shot. Hopefully, I was thinking to myself, hopefully there are, they are as scared as I am <laughs> in this situation. And maybe that one shot just might move them in an opposite direction, you know, so that at least I get some other, or get out of there, or get somebody else to come over here. But anyway, but it was, I, I found it very calm. I mean, just very calm, very methodical. This is what you have to do. And ultimately, I thought to myself, the lesson I learned there was that in, since in time of, 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 of stress, how are you going to react? Are you going to panic? Do you come agitated? Mm-hmm. Can't think? You know, and then you only react? Or do you just go, okay, let's just methodically go through every step what needs to be done, good or bad in your favor, but this is what needs to be done. This is what you have available to you, and hopefully things will work out. Yeah. So that was a that was a big lesson I, I, I learned. Sure. 
So as the fight continues, you get wounded in the right foot, correct? Right foot? Right, yeah. And, I mean, you lose a significant portion of your foot, is my understanding. No, it, more damage. More I, damage. I, didn't, I didn't lose any part of the foot, okay. but I just, it is, I saw broken bones, and I got nerve damage and tissue damage and yep. so on. So anyways. But. So, so that, that happens. Obviously, you get, you get medevac. The fight kind of continues. Like, the fight continues. You get medevac. Yeah. All, all that stuff sort of happens, and you, as you said, end up in the hospital, and you spend a, a long time in the hospital trying right. to recover. Yeah. My question, I guess, is given the nature of the business that you were in prior to getting drafted, mm-hmm. kind of what, how did you, how did so you suss a, that mentally? So it was a, there was a process, like every, uh, every you know, it, it's, it's on the way, the, so I'm in, uh, I, uh, I'm in Da Nang, right, out of the field. So we, we go to Da Nang where we get patched up. So I'm thinking, so I got an IV, got morphine drip, you know, you're, you're in, a, in a ward. Um, and the, there, there, there was a situation that took place. Across from me, across from me was a young soldier. He was a triple amputee, lost his left arm and both legs. And every day that uh, I was there, the aides would come to take him to therapy. Mm-hmm. And as I remember, he had grabbed that little trapeze that swung, swung his torso into a wheelchair as best he could. They helped him out and they'd push him. And, um, he, and he stopped at every one of the beds in the ward on the way out. It wasn't a big ward. Mm-hmm. And he'd stop at my bed and he'd say, hey, how you doing today? You know, I, I, I got to tell you this. You know, you look better today than you did yesterday. Because yesterday, you look like shit, okay? <laughs> now, we got some good docs here, and we're going to take care of you. We'll get you out of here, and I'll get you. And I'll see you back in the real world one of these days. Mm-hmm. And that story stuck with me because all of us, you know, over the period of time, and I think anybody could be embittered or complain would be that young soldier sure. with those atrocities that took place. But yet he had a positive attitude. And I thought, and, and really, in all honesty, I thought, if he could have a positive attitude, what about me? I'm going to walk. I may not play whatever, but I'm going to walk someday. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of changed my, for myself, pity to go, okay, fine, what do we got to do here? Now, it almost dissipated uh, when I got to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Because when I got to Tokyo, after a couple weeks in the hospital in Tokyo, I finally got enough ooh, courage or moxie to ask my doctor what he thought the damage and whether or not I could play football again. Now, his response was he chuckled and he said, don't worry about it. You're going to have a normal life. You're going to be able to do the things that normal people do. Just don't expect to get back in the gridiron. You just won't have the strength or the flexibility to do the things that are necessary to be running back in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, what he formulated from his point of view, correct or not in his diagnosis, was a perception about myself. And, um, but what he did at that moment was that he just sucked that hope out, you know, that little hope or belief, and I just felt empty. Okay, two days later, I get a postcard in the mail. Honest to God, a postcard, simple postcard. It's got two lines on it. It says this, Rock, team's not doing well. We need you. Art Rooney, <laughs> owner of the team. And you go, wow, somebody needs me. Well, they didn't need me, but it was just that little thing that somebody took the time to care, to reach out, and 
solicited um, to say here. And being the family that they were, going back to what I talked about, I came back, you know, and they it, they bought me a year, you know, and I, I went to training camp, limped through it, um, and uh, and it took its toll. But they put me on injured reserve. I had another operation, and so but they just gave me that opportunity. And really, then it's like, what do you do with the opportunity? Mm-hmm. And it's really up to you. And that window can be open, you know, but you got to go through it, and you got to put the time and effort. And there's no easy way. Of doing it, you just, you know. So I, so when in my rehab, you know, when I was, I was in the hospitals, a station in Fort Riley, Kansas. This before I got a, uh, I worked for the uh, plans, operation, and training for the hospital ward mm-hmm. there, and uh, but I'd get up at five thirty in the morning. I'd run. I'd get a couple miles in as best I possibly could. Go to work. After work get to the gym, go lift for a couple hours, mm-hmm. come back, run some sprints as I best possibly could. Um, and you know what it's like when you're living with three other guys. Sure. <laughs> they give you all the crap where they make sure that you do it or whatever it is. And yeah. so we go uh, through that, have dinner, <laughs> go back to bed. And so you start and you just put that time and effort into it. And, you know, hopefully you get, it pays off. But... So over those those two years where you're on the injured reserve and then mm-hmm. you're you're on the the developmental squad, I mean, how were there points that that you had low moments? Did you did you always kind of feel like you were making progress towards the eventual goal of getting back on the team? You know, I, I think one of my thoughts was this: was that I can only control what I can control. I mean, in our lives, that's all we can. I can't control the fact that I want to make this team. I can't control the fact that I ever going to, that comes from somebody else. That comes from the coach and the coaching staff and so on. So the only thing you can do is, you know, put your time and put your effort and in, 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 in showing that you care, that you're interested, that you got enthusiasm about what you are trying to do. Um, and I really think, and I, and I have to, and, I, and I'm going to tell you this because I really think that just hanging around for those two years, um, that the coaching staff saw a change mm-hmm. from this kid that came back to um, 1972, you know, in a two-year period of just getting bigger, getting stronger, uh, and, um, and, and wanting to play and seeing the progress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so <laughs> I guess sometimes I feel like, well, when you see that, you know, then you kind of got to give the guy a, maybe the benefit of the doubt and an extra, you know, is that an extra chance or whatever it might be. So I think that was that was a that was a big factor. But um, you just yeah, basically you just you know you do what you yeah. And so my thought was just that you know getting through this. Yeah, I had some concerns actually. Actually, in nineteen and I'm going to tell you this. So I came and make the team in 1972 and I come back again okay so 1973 um 1972 i'm the leading ground gainer mm-hmm. during the exhibition season thank you very much <laughs> then in 1973 i'm a leading ground gainer during the exhibition season in 1973 <clears throat> now it's been that period of time i weigh 218 pounds i bench press 460 pounds i squat 600 pounds and i increase my speed <laughs> to um a uh I ran the 40 in, uh, 
in four, 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 five, five, four, six, which was downhill, wind aided, everything. <laughs> but anyway, but all of a sudden, you know, they saw this change that took place. And so as we go back, and I got to carry the, 72, I never carried the football. Mm -hmm. 71, I got to carry the ball once during the season, you know, back playing special teams. But all of a sudden I thought in 73 was that, that that to make this team again, to make the team, I was going to have to come back and fight with every free agent, draft choice, and rookie to do so. Mm -hmm. And... um, I just, I, I, you know, and I'm thinking, God, I put all this time and effort in. You know, I'm not getting a chance. I'm not getting a chance. And so um, I thought, well, maybe it's just, a, you know, how we, maybe it's a sign, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I did come back. I did make the team. Um, given my service time, they provided, they counted that in as uh, playing time. Mm-hmm. And so I got five years of um that was eligible for for a pension, okay, five years. And so I thought, well, maybe maybe that was it. I did come back, got a chance to play, maybe not to the level I wanted to, but mm-hmm. that wasn't part of any deal. And so um, maybe my life's, and I left the team after 73, not to come back in 1974, in all honesty. Um, and uh, I got a phone call from a teammate of mine. I was living in Chicago. And he said to me, uh, he, he said, we've got a big sports dinner taking place. Why don't you join us? Sponsored by the NFL. You know, guys that come from all, I haven't seen you since then. Said, come on, we'll get together. Yeah. Well, I'm not going back. And so I declined. Mm-hmm. He pushed, I declined. And then he asked me, why? You know, I mean, why? Well, the only thing I could blurt out was I quit. You know, I quit. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going back next year and I just don't feel comfortable. And he said, well, you can't quit. I mean, you can, if you quit, what you've already done is that you've already made a decision for that coaching staff. Do you like them well enough to make decisions for them? He said, no, your responsibility. If this is what you want to do is that you come back and you make them make a decision. You back them in the corner. You give them every reason to either keep you or release you, but you don't cut yourself. I mean, the reality of this game is that we're all expendable. Mm-hmm. The reality of this game is we all can be cut at any time, but if this is what you want to do, you don't cut yourself. Uh, and maybe that was just the, yeah, as I tell people, the arm twisting I needed. Mm-hmm. From an older brother, I didn't have. But sometimes we need that, sure. you know. And I went back. And everything that I had perceived, oh, yeah, it did take place. I had a fight with every free agent, draft choice, and rookie to make the team. Leading ground gainer. I, again, thank you. And, and I tell you that. Because <laughs> the only reason that I was a leading ground gainer during the exhibition season wasn't because of the fact that I was bigger, better, or faster than the other running backs. It was a simple fact that I played more than anybody else, mm-hmm. and I carried the ball more than anybody else because they're trying to decide whether they're going to keep me. And given those two simple statistics, I better be the leading ground gainer because mm-hmm. all they were providing was an opportunity, and that's all you can ask. And so I make the team. In 1974, I come back again. I'm the fifth running back out of four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say that. Starting running backs, back up, and then me, okay? And uh, then all of a sudden, Franco Harris gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Backup becomes a starter. I become the backup to the backup. <sighs> I hadn't <laughs> been there before. It's exciting. And <laughs> so uh, fourth game, the backup gets hurt. I'm inserted the game um, as a fullback. 
And um, with my running mate, a guy by the name of Preston Pearson, he finished his career with the Dallas Cowboys. But he breaks one with this game. He breaks one at halftime, right before the half, scores, gives us a lead. We go and go for Simon's adjustments. Who's going to start the second half? I'm thinking to myself, maybe those guys that get you the lead. And so we get to start the second half. And, mm-hmm. and we win this game. And then we get to start the following week, and we win that game. And then Franco gets healthy. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'm thought he's coming back to play fullback, and they move me over to halfback. Mm-hmm. And we get to start that week, and we, we start the remaining part of the season, Bradshaw, Franco, and myself, and we win the division, go to the playoffs, win the playoffs, go to the Super Bowl for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, win the Super Bowl. And we play six more years together. Um, and so the lesson there within this, because ultimately that whole story is the reason I got a chance to start wasn't because of my size and speed, obviously, as I had made mention, two things I do not possess, but, but because of one talent. And I think one of the things that we all have to come to find out is that talent that we have. We all have it different than anybody else's and how we perceive things, what we do, what we're strong at, you know, and so we have a talent. Because prior to that breakout group, uh, when I was announced I was going to start with Franco, um, Chuck Knoll had stopped our backfield coach and said, you have a weakness. You have a weakness in your backfield. Who's your best blocker? He said, Blyer. He said, then start him. One talent. Mm-hmm. And that got me a chance to break in because of that talent. Uh, and then to have the career and so forth playing those four Super Bowls. And in 1976, Franco and I became the second set of running backs in the history of the NFL. To each gained 1,000 yards rushing in one season. Mm-hmm. And then after 12 years, I retired. That's great. Um, so we need to wrap up a little bit. Yes. But I, I, always <laughs> ask, I always ask this question um, of folks that come for the podcast because we are here at West Point. What advice would you give to cadets or, or young leaders going out of the force, both in regards to kind of your military experience and then your experience, um, you know, going after your, your goal of playing professional football after all that happened in Vietnam? You know, I, you know, I, think, the, I think the biggest thing from young cadets, you know, is the ability to take a look at yourself and to learn. Because, you know, you're, you're, coming, you're coming to the academy. I mean, you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. I mean, you're young. Your young people, and you know, to formulate an idea and who you're going to be. I mean, it's a great opportunity here mm-hmm. to get leadership skills here to find and develop who you are, and you really have to take you know take advantage of them. You know, it's it, you know because the realization is that some guys are going to be smaller or smarter, some guys are going to be bigger, some guys are going to be faster, uh, but there's nobody like you, and you have to find out you here um, and, there, and all the resources that are available to you on this campus uh, to be able to find out whether you become a career officer or not, uh, whether you put your time in uh, afterwards and that commitment. Um, but it's a great, it's a great it's a great opportunity to, to, to be able to, to do that and not to judge yourself with other people mm-hmm. and not to uh, judge yourself by what other people say. But what you learn and who you are and understand your strengths and understand your weaknesses and it's a learning process and and and, and it takes time to to go through that but um, 
But as I said here, you, get, you got that opportunity to do so with so many resources um, to be the, as we say, the best that you can be. And uh, so I wish them well. Okay. Mr. Blyer, thank you so much for talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you again for listening to The Spear. One last thing, if you aren't yet following MWI on social media, find us on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. It is the best way to stay up to date on all of the new articles, podcast episodes, and research that we're publishing every day. All right, thanks again for listening.